Coming up today on Eagle Eyes on Tech, Lapsus appears to just be a bunch of punk kids. Windows 11 actively shaming you for running old hardware. Overwatch 2 is in some serious financial trouble in addition to many, many other problems. And Microsoft has apparently embraced being furries. All that and more coming up today on Eagle Eyes on Tech. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, North Stream. What are this? Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. We have a lot to talk about today. A lot. A lot. So we're just going to get right to it and definitely not talk about my poor little gaming rig that um, decided to eat itself. But that's a, that's a me problem, not an anyone else problem. But you know what isn't a me problem? Kaspersky is now on the list of national security threats issued by the FCC. You know, I'm not going to lie. I just, I mean, I've always considered Kaspersky a national security threat. Because, I mean, the amount of times that sucker is just installed on your hardware... And just consuming valuable resources. It, it's just, it, it's no surprise that it's finally, finally being just recognized as the malware that it is. But there is a caveat to all this. Do you know why Kaspersky was added to the risk, to the list of national security threats? by the FCC. I feel dumb for not calling this earlier. Kaspersky is a Russian company. Don't you feel dumb for not calling this sooner? Someone in chat says, is there more? No, it's because they're Russian. That's literally it. Someone else in chat also nailed it. It's because the majority of its servers that provide these updates are located in Russia. Yeah, it's pretty much it. Russia is being a very hostile nation to pretty much everyone and is promised and is, and is giving va- vague and... Uh, We'll call it over-the-top threats to the rest of the civilized world, so pretty much anything that can just push out an update from Russia is pretty much making the list of possible security threats. But yeah, when that crossed my my desk, I'm not going to lie. Totally forgot that they're Russian. Now, this story I'm late to the party on, but I still want to talk about it because this 
really is a big problem for certain content creators. Vimeo is telling their creators, the people who actually make the content that you view on Vimeo, that they have to pay thousands of dollars or leave the platform. This comes due to a policy change with Vimeo that says that the content creators must pay to use the service of Vimeo. And they're doing this kind of retroactively. Now, if you're a constant user of Vimeo, you would have known about this. But here's where the juicy part comes in. Outside of Vimeo, there is a platform called Patreon. Patreon, if you somehow don't know, is a platform in which fans of a of some kind of creator, whether it be there, there's all kinds of various freelancers, content creators, and whatnot on Patreon. But if you went ahead and had an uploaded video for your patrons that, by the way, pay a monthly fee, or rather than a fee, but give a monthly pledge to the content I think they call it pledges, but it basically is a pledge of financial support. A lot of content creators will go ahead and for those that support them financially, release videos that they normally put on YouTube early on Patreon. This sounds fine, right? But you're starting to see where the problem comes in because Patreon doesn't have their own video hosting service they use Vimeo for their video hosting service. So Vimeo deciding to just absolutely rocket jump their way off into obscurity were, was going about and shutting down creator accounts saying, if you want to keep using our services, you need to pay thousands of dollars that are past due because you are using our service without realizing it. The worst part in all of this is that if you are a frequent user of Patreon for this kind of system, all of a sudden, all of your patrons are furious with you. All those exclusive videos they used, they were paying monthly to get access to? Gone. Thanos snapped out of existence because Vimeo decided to implement this policy. I'd say it's a policy based on sheer greed. Actually, no, yeah, it is a policy based on sheer greed. But the unfortunate thing is that... Um, yeah, this is absolutely shooting Vimeo in the foot. Like, as a content creator, I actually used to, long, long ago, when I was a young streamer just trying to go ahead and do silly things, like do Jackbox streams constantly, 
I used to simulcast on a lot of different platforms. I believe I was doing like up to 13 at once. And I had all kinds of systems in place to try and unify the chats as much as possible. Vimeo was one of them. Vimeo's backend was so bad, it was very difficult to get working in the first place. But you know, if Vimeo's saying you need to pay us thousands or walk, like, look, I was on a lot of obscure platforms. Twitch, YouTube, Mobster, Ustream, Stream.me, a bunch of other ones that aren't gone anymore, Beam.tv. There, there was a lot of them that I was co-streaming on. And of all the ones I, I streamed on, Vimeo produced the fewest numbers. You want to know what the total number of views I got on the Vimeo stream back when there was an Eagle Falcon stream on Vimeo? Total views. Two. Literally two. And I streamed on Hitbox. An even worse streaming platform. And I had more views on Hitbox. I don't even think Hitbox is around. Oh yeah, and Azure too. God, there was a lot of really oddball ones that I was on before I became a Twitch affiliate. Oh, those were the days of wondering what the heck I was doing. Someone in chat asked, were they both your own views? No, one of them would have been me. So one. (laughs) The person in the chat makes a very good point. (laughs) Wouldn't you count as one of the views for trying to view your own stream? Yes. So the number of viewers I got from Vimeo was somewhere between zero and one. Wow. It gets sadder the moment the more you look at it. I mean, look, here's what's here here's the honest truth on it. Vimeo is going to go the exact same way as Artesian builds. Because as a content creator, why would I pay thousands of dollars to have my videos viewed by no one? What's in it for me? Like, here's the sad thing for a minute. If YouTube were to go down... And all of a sudden, all the content you had on YouTube can't be viewed anymore. And you're a content creator that does YouTube, that does that style of content. You know where you're going to go? 
you're either A, going to go and upload your stuff to Twitch, or B, and it's going to be, it's probably the optimal choice if YouTube actually vanished. And everyone's going to hate the fact I'm going to say this, even though they know I'm right. You're going to upload it to TikTok. Because it costs you nothing. And there's not a resolution limit anymore. Vimeo used to be the second choice, but thousands upon thousands of dollars to go ahead and upload there. No thanks. Content creators, whether people want to realize it or not, is a business. Any money you spend, you expect to make back somehow. And if I'm giving Vimeo $2,000, I'm expecting thousands back somehow. Whether it be in ad revenue or in direct contribution from the fans who really appreciate that kind of content or somehow. Because in the end, content creation, you have your own bills to pay. Whether it be the electric bill to keep your lights on to actually keep making the content, the food so you don't starve to death, the rent so your landlord doesn't kick you out and then wonder why the heck you have... You have uh, thousands of dollars of equipment and a studio running in a master be- in what was supposed to be the master bedroom of the apartment. Not that I would know anything about that. They got the bills to pay. If you're just expecting them to just take two thousand dollars right in the shorts, it's just not going to happen. And this especially, especially makes Patreon look bad. And I kind of wonder now, what is Patreon going to do for their video content? Because sticking with Vimeo is not going to be an option. It just isn't. In the end, only time will be able to tell. Someone in chat says YouTube. Probably. Probably, honestly. Again, all we can do, wait and see. All right, let's talk about Lapsus for a minute. Lapsus, for those who somehow don't know, is a cyber criminal gang that has compromised a number of big tech outlets now. NVIDIA, Samsung, and now Microsoft as well. Microsoft is looking into it and has confirmed that information has been stolen. And they are looking to see how much exactly was, but they do not believe any customer information was stolen. Just certain aspects of source code related to their Azure infrastructure. And now to make things even better, 
Microsoft has received a ransom note from Lapsus saying that Does this article really not say what it is? All right, I think I'd, I don't, I don't think I actually have what the. Yeah, no, they actually don't have it. All right, well, that was awkward. I'm sorry I brought it up. Not that it really matters because um, we've gone at the, excuse me, that, um, Authorities believe they have the leader of Lapsus. And I'm not going to lie. I'm shocked, but not surprised. I should have called this very early on. Because let's think for for a minute here about modern hackers. Modern hackers will go ahead and go for pretty much their task is very simple. They want to get in, not be detected, get whatever info they can, whether it's targeted info or just info in general and see what they can do with it get out, and then either sell the info directly, threaten to sell the info for a bigger ransom, or they're actually white hat hackers and then just want to go ahead and collect the bounty for finding an exploit in the system. Lapsus is odd in the grounds that they want to be known. Like, most hacking groups don't care about being known. They just want their paycheck. So why has Lapsus cared about notoriety? Well, the answer is incredibly obvious in hindsight. They're teenagers. It's that simple. (laughs) Currently right now, we have multiple teenagers located in Oxford that are being investigated, one of which being one of the leaders of the lapsus with a dollar sign cybercrime gang. I feel dumb for not being able to figure it out sooner. No other hacker would actually try to go ahead 
and let themselves be this known. No other respectable adult hacker would name themselves Lap Sus and then throw a dollar sign behind it because why not, lol? Honestly, the dollar sign behind it might have been a sign that it could have been, you know, early 2000s, like, teenager. That's, like, something I would have expected from back then. But, of course, well... We're, of course, going to be following that right now. That's all we know, is that... Authorities in the United Kingdom are looking into these teenagers that are strongly believed to be associated with lapsus, one of which being at least one of the leaders, possibly the only leader of the gang. Who would truly be surprised? Yeah. Now, speaking of annoying things that teenagers would do, there's an Elden Ring exploit that can corrupt your save, and it can be done by other people joining your game. Whoops. So, if you are a, if you are still playing Elden Ring, I'm actually kind of surprised that, um, this is still going around. I thought this was fixed. Like, some people were talking about this sort of thing existing, but, yeah, no, it's, it's still not fixed. It's still not fixed. But just a little something that you should know about. Wee! All right, how about some good news? Guys, there is a GPU that is selling for remotely close to its MSRP. In fact, it's selling for 35% less than its MSRP. It's a card that's on sale? You... What does this mean? Are, are the good times coming? All right, well, before we uh, break out the champagne and actually start celebrating in earnest that the GPU shortage is over, let's talk about what the GPU is first. The GPU that is selling for 35%, 35% below MSRP is a failure of a GPU. It is the RX 6500 XT. A GPU launched by AMD that was trying to be sold for 229 euros. I actually do not know how much it was supposed to be selling for US. Probably like 249 or something like that but is now selling for 169 euros and is basically a mobile GPU 
in a full size GP in a, in a full size body. But it's a sign. It is at least a sign. That we could be getting closer to the end of the GPU shortage. Oh, yeah. And it's without the media engine for some reason. Like, there's a lot of things that are just odd about that particular GPU that just made it like, no. Like, we all knew at the actual MSRP that it was a bad deal. And, of course, it got scalped. Immediately it got scalped. And guess what? No one's buying it. The cryptocurrency miners aren't buying it right now because, well, mining is getting harder and harder right now. In addition to that, the crypto prices are, actually, I think they're trending back up. And then, of course, it's missing key features. They're just, they're just trying to meet that price point. But why? What's the point if you don't have things you'd, like, actually want? Like, to be perfectly honest, if I was getting a laptop and it had this GPU in it with this exact feature set, I'd be annoyed. Because it's, it's an incomplete laptop. But again... It is a sign. The question is, is it a good sign? You know what else is a sign? Windows 11 watermarks. You see, Microsoft has had this feature for a while that if you are using a non-activated copy of Windows or you just upgraded some serious hardware and Windows got really confused, it'll put a watermark of shame in the lower right-hand corner of your Windows desktop, saying that your Windows is not activated and give you some pop-up occasionally and say, like, you might be the victim of, of software counterfeiting and whatnot and all this other scary stuff. Well, a lot of people kind of just took this watermark of shame and in their defiance wore it as a badge of honor well for those of you that wear those watermarks as a badge of honor I have good news you can add a second watermark to it because Windows 11 will add another watermark if your hardware is considered unsupported. Microsoft, you're doing a really bad job of like trying to walk this fine line of trying to support legacy hardware, but not really. Like, Come on, man. Look, gas gas is $69 for a mega gallon. 
freaking my grocery bill is it cost me my kidney which is getting really awkward to actually try and eat my groceries everything's still everything's so freaking expensive every it's tough times microsoft do you really gotta go ahead and now shame me because i'm trying to run windows 11 on a dell venue 10 tablet i found found at a rummage sale for 50 bucks come on man we're all on tough times here you gotta rub it in our face now it's it's just like the kick in the shins that someone out there really didn't need it's like could you imagine part of me now wants to just go ahead and um i have a laptop that i that i use currently it's now running windows 7 solely because it needs windows 7 to run some older uh rts games part of me now wants to try and install windows 11 on it just to see how angry it would make the operating system to go ahead and install windows 11 on a core 2 duo based system Man, you know, I don't know what it is about Microsoft lately. They just really, really want to make sure that people hate them, that they just continue to make poor decisions that make people consider actually trying to learn Linux. And even in sections that they should excel at. They just fall flat on their face. Like, for example, making a computer specifically targeting the education sector. This should be a home run for Microsoft. This should be just brain dead easy. Windows has had user accounts for the longest time. You create a master account that has control over the PC and then the student account. This should be simple. What does Microsoft do instead? We get, ladies and gentlemen, the Microsoft Surface Laptop SE. A laptop that had too many corners cut a laptop running the lowest end Celeron they possibly could not enough RAM the cheapest SSD they possibly could but hey it's 350 bucks So the reviews for this are finally in, right? For the for the Microsoft Surface Laptop SE. And you know what I'm seeing a lot? And I saw it a lot because my community knows how much I hate Chromebooks. Because a Chromebook is not a real computer. And the only reason a Chromebook is tolerated 
is because it's such a dumb computer, no one can possibly mess it up. Now, here's what I will say. The Surface Laptop SE is a massive black eye on Microsoft. There's no getting around that. But you know, I thought about what could they have done to fix this? I mean, first off, they could have just, you know, not cut so many corners, you know? Maybe put it in enough frickin' RAM for starters? But the concept of just get a Chromebook. I have a better motto for you. A better motto that actually gives the student more computer for the exact same money. In fact, for less money. You want to get them a Chromebook? You should have got them an iPad. Because an iPad is more of a computer than a Chromebook is. You have user accounts. You have complete control over the device, both on a local level and on a remote level. It is cheap. There is actually a file structure system in there that you can actually access. So you don't have the situation like you did with a college room, with, a, with an entire college room where no one knew how to use the freaking file explorer on a real computer because, oh, a Chromebook's good enough. No, it's not. It's not. A Chromebook is a terrible life decision. And the fact that these are still accepted everywhere really just shows how lazy the education sector really is. My Google phone just just turned on and and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) What did it say? I'm sorry you feel that way. (laughs) I'm not going to defend the Surface Laptop SE. I'm not in any way, shape, or form. But the fact that that so many people are willing to say that this is acceptable is insulting. And the fact that that Google continues to go down this route of uh, trying to keep boosting up Chrome OS while giving it basically nothing, while pretending it has something. Is just an insult to the entire IT world. And the fact that we give this to our youth and say this is good enough. I'm sorry. That's 
not good at all. But of course, what do I know? I'm just the guy that continues to, day after day after day, try to just make every single old computer he's got last just a little bit longer. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about some big uh, gaming news in regards to Blizzard. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be good. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. This has been something that's been on my mind for a very, very long time. What is the actual benefit to NFTs in gaming? Because everyone's trying to go ahead and push NFTs in gaming. Everyone and their mother is trying to make it happen, but no one can give a benefit. I uh, finally found one. But there's something I want you to keep in mind. How many people have said that the benefit to NFTs in gaming is that when the game dies, those assets could be reincorporated into a future product? So right now, if you were to go ahead and say, let's, let's take, uh, oh, I don't know. Let's take Overwatch, for example. Right now with Overwatch, Overwatch 1 is being phased out completely. Any, mo- any amount of money that you spent on skins in Overwatch 1 is basically going to be phased out as Overwatch 2 comes into place and... That's going to be that. When Overwatch in general shuts down completely, every single cent you invested into those skins, gone. Poof. Vanished into thin air. Never to be seen again, never to be used by anything ever again. But in the case of an NFT, and if those skins were in an NFT a future game could reincorporate those assets and you have the NFT that says you paid for that skin. Now, this argument falls apart immediately because if Overwatch 2 ever goes, if if Overwatch and Overwatch 2 ever goes down, the link that says you own the NFT for that thing just leads to a 404 error. But the fact that no one else is trying to make this one argument is actually kind of stunning. And, you know, these sort of things can happen. You think a giant like Blizzard can't go down overnight, especially with a title like Overwatch that is an esports title. A lot of money behind that. Right? It, it, it can't fail. Right? 
Well, the state of Overwatch right now is in a weird spot. Because, of course, you have the mass amounts of scandal surrounding Blizzard, the future of its leaders being up in the air, and all of Blizzard's products right now in a very weird half-holding pattern and half-we-don't-know-what-the-heck-they're-doing. World of Warcraft? No one can tell what the heck they're doing. Other than... You know what? I don't even know. Like, like, think about this for a second. World of, Warcraft, World of Warcraft right now is trying to justify its existence so hard. It tried to say that they just had their conclusion of an epic long saga that started all the way back in Warcraft 3. Their conclusion ended with a cliffhanger. It also ended with more questions than answers. Also, it was dumb. Like, for their staff to call their current saga the conclusion of anything that started all the way back in Warcraft 3 is an absolute insult to everyone who played Warcraft 3 and loved the story. It's also an insult to the original writers of Warcraft. Period. Hearthstone is in a holding pattern. Overwatch has been, Overwatch 2 has been delayed indefinitely. I mean, it's a weird situation right now, especially since, well, Blizzard's being bought out. But there is a sign of life. There's some hope for Blizzard. Don't worry, everyone who has written them off as being a dead company. There's a sign of life. The PvP beta for Overwatch 2, the game we thought was dead because apparently everyone who worked on Overwatch 2 either was traumatically harassed or a harasser and left the company. But look, the beta's coming out. There's a sign. There's a sign the game's not dead. And it definitely has nothing to do with the fact that um, the Overwatch League is kicking off in uh, uh, on May 5th. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with the fact they want to give any sort of sign of life that um, the game's not dead yet and that people should go ahead and sponsor to the Overwatch League so that they can make their money. It has nothing to do with that at all. This is all about showing that they're here to go and support the players. Nothing to do with the Overwatch League launching only weeks after that PvP beta opens. Nothing at all to do with that. Definitely not rushing out an unfinished product to go ahead and meet a harsh deadline. So yeah, obviously Overwatch 2's PvP beta launching soon is uh, all about the Overwatch League and trying to shine any light on it so that they can go ahead and get some sponsors because currently right now, the sponsorship count on the Overwatch League is at an all-time low. 
I want you to guess the whole league, the whole Overwatch league. Keep in mind, this is a massive league. Okay? This is a whole thing, bunch of teams, each one of them having sponsors, each one of the matches having sponsors, tons of eyes watching, you know, there's there's normally tons upon tons of sponsors. Guess how many the Overwatch League has right now? How many would you guess? 30? 20? 15? 12? A, a whole dozen? The Overwatch League right now has zero. Zip. Zilch. Nada. Not a single sponsor. And this is even way worse than it sounds. For something like this to not have any sponsor is stunning. Because, of course, there are companies out there that have no self-respect at all. There's companies like Comcast who will just absolutely treat their customers like the worst pieces of garbage on the planet and just not even care, throw money around to go ahead and cover up the problem. You know, Comcast doesn't give a care about their image. They just want their name out there because you're all you got. Like, come on, you can get a Comcast, right? They couldn't even get Comcast. The company doesn't care about what you do. Like not getting Comcast as a sponsor is about as rare as a YouTuber not sponsoring Raid Shadow Legends. That's how rare that is. What's even more fascinating is that Comcast already has a massive investment in the Overwatch League. Because Comcast owns a team! Comcast owns the Philadelphia Fusion, which is an Overwatch League team! They own the team and they're not sponsoring the league. That's how you know Blizzard is absolutely effed up. There's just no other way to say it. It's 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 amazing. That really should say something about all this. Now, in addition to all this, I want you to think about something else for a minute, all right? The only out Blizzard has right now is Microsoft just straight up buying them. I can't even begin to tell you how much of a lifeline that is. It is the only way 
that that intellectual property, that those games are ever going to see a second life. And also for all of those out there that want to think that Bobby Kotick is going to somehow still remain in Blizzard after all this, that somehow Bobby Kotick is just going to have a lower seat in Activision Blizzard. No. First off, Bobby Kotick is also on the board of Coca-Cola, or at least was. He has now stepped away from that job as well. That is a big sign that he plans on just stepping away from the business life in general. And also because you take something like the Overwatch League and you have no sponsors. None. How is the Overwatch League going to pay for anything? I don't think we fully comprehend how bad this is for an esports business like this to make any sort of income to go ahead and pay any of these teams to go ahead and pay any prize pools for any of this sort of stuff. You need to generate money with no sponsors and the fact that the content is broadcasted for free on YouTube, the only money you are making literally is in YouTube ad revenue only. You think those YouTube bucks are going to pay for these teams and their paychecks? For the coaches? For the casters? For the equipment? For the time? For all of this to make it happen? To pay the devs? We're going ahead and quickly patch working your broken, unfinished game to go ahead and be remotely playable for the league? You think you're going to pay it with YouTube money alone? I'll tell you what. The Overwatch League this time around is going to be an amazing must-see event. Because it is going to be a massive massive dumpster fire. You have no talent. You have nothing to pay players. You have nothing to pay coaches. You have nothing to pay casters. And you're going to be playing with a defective game. Oh man. This is going to get good. Oh, and also for good measure... Just in case you thought there was a chance Bobby Kotick could escape this unscathed. Surprise! Another sexual harassment lawsuit. It never ends. The details on this one is not uh, very specific. They're very broad. Mostly because we just don't know yet, so a lot of what we do know is just speculation. But yet another allegation of sexual harassment. Like, all I can do is just bury my my head in my hand and just go, my God, 
How? How do you fail at at HR this badly? It's stunning and impressive, to say the least. Speaking of, I can't believe that a company cares this little. Nintendo has finally talked about uh, the fact that the Nintendo Wii and DSi shop channels have been offline for days. Uh, gee, Billy, why do you prefer to go ahead and get physical copy of video games? Y you know, this might be why. Not only will the shop eventually be gone, but uh, when it's no longer the primary shop, Nintendo will just go ahead and leave it offline for days. And then when people ask, why are they down? They're going to say, oh, it's undergoing maintenance. So for those who don't remember, the Wii and DSi shops are not completely shut down yet. They are going through a phasing out period. And apparently during this phasing out period, and will both be shut down by the end of the year, they can just go offline for days, weeks, and they just won't care. I get we're phasing them out, but don't you think just kind of ignoring them is just, just a little rude? Just, just a little bit? Well, what Nintendo's doing is pretty rude, but they don't hold a candle of not caring about their customers compared to this company. This is an amazing company that just, if you are a activist for the ability to repair your own devices and lived in New York and just loved to rant on camera, this company is just the absolute gem to you. Yes, I was referring to Lewis Rossman. Th this company is just an absolute gem to Lewis Rossman and feeding his uh, fervor. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you future motions and them responding to the controversy of the battery. So for those who don't know, Future Motions is a company that makes, well, their primary device is the one wheel, a large one wheeled skateboard, basically, that you lean forward on it, it moves forward, and it's, a, it's basically a more stylish segue, is one way to look at it. But, the most recent version, if you go ahead and remove the battery, the device bricks itself. Even if you plug the battery back in, the device is still bricked. And it needs to be sent to a service technician to be unbricked. It was designed like this intentionally. And to make matters even worse, 
Future Motions has one service center in the entire United States of America. Cool. And no, they will not sell you the battery. Not that it would matter, because even if you had the original battery, it would still brick itself the moment you swap it. Ah. But it's okay. Because they have come and spoke on everyone's favorite platform. Or rather, they didn't speak on this platform specifically, but someone posted the entire reply on Reddit. It reads as follows. This is verbatim from original poster what Future Motions had to say. Hey, and then the name of the person who who sent this up. I'm sorry. I'm okay. Here's where it starts. From Future Motions. It is fundamentally unsafe to modify the battery or battery management system of a one wheel. We get that a small minority of one wheel fans are agitated about this. So let's unpack it a bit. Let me interject. They open up immediately with some obnoxious terms here. First off, they say it's unsafe to modify the battery. Nobody's modifying the battery. They're trying to replace it because a lithium-ion battery will eventually go bad. We haven't found a battery yet that will last indefinitely. It'd be a breakthrough technology if we did, but tragically, we don't have it. Another word that sticks out like a sore thumb, a small minority. This is a favorite term of Apple. Apple loves to just say, this isn't a big deal. A small minority of 100% of all the MacBook Pro users have bad keyboards. But it's just a small minority. We have some very vague, loaded terms. So, some good ones here. The response continues. One wheels are... Dynamically stabilized vehicles designed for on- and off-road use. Unlike a car with four wheels, there is no margin for error. Unlike a car with four wheels, there is no margin for error, they say. Let me interject. You go ahead and have a car with one bad wheel. And let me know how safe it is to drive that. The fact they have the balls to go ahead and try to make this comparison. Dude, your semi truck has 18 wheels. 
so what if one wheel's slightly smaller? It's no big deal. Yeah, these these guys are a gem. The, these guys are an absolute gem. They must have hired the same PR guys that um that Artesian builds had. The response continues. People ride them on all kinds of terrain in an incredibly demanding fashion, so battery modules and the BMS, that's battery management system, must be built with the highest levels of safety and quality control to withstand a heck of a lot of abuse. We source the highest level components. We've engineered an incredible robust battery module design and have invested heavily in advanced test fixtures for quality control of aspects of the battery system. Let me interject. I want to remind you, it is a electric motor that when you lean forward on the board, you move forward. This isn't about safety. If this was about safety, you'd sell us the parts. You'd go ahead and give guides so that these devices that are in such dangerous terrain as you just described in off-road environments, that service could be done in the field for when things go wrong. When you design something for off-road use, you don't design it with the intention of just never breaking down ever, you design it to reduce the chance of it breaking down to a minimum and then be ready to be quickly serviced. You'll notice in off-road vehicles, if you've ever seen them, they have, you know, big tires. They have self-inflation systems so they can go ahead and handle this. They have big shocks to handle that. But you know what else they have? They have a winch. So that when they do get stuck, because they figure it is inevitable that it will happen, that you can pull yourself out and that you have a spare tire so that not even though our tires are very robust, you can swap it out. So already on the grounds of we're trying to make this as safe as possible because it's used in dangerous terrain, you're doing it wrong. Like, to an extreme length. Like, it's actually stunning. But of course, this all continues. We also have engineers who designed the one-wheel battery, battery system design... Wait. We also have the engineers who designed the one-wheel battery system design a battery management system from scratch to ensure the highest level of battery safety in all situations. This battery management system is designed to specifically work with the battery cells and pack incorporated in the one wheel and no other cells or pack arrangements. Let me interject. No one is asking to go ahead and use their own batteries. Literally no one.
the all right no not literally no one but most people what they want is just to replace the battery you won't even sell the original this isn't about safety this is about blatant greed you are trying to out apple apple and trying to make it so that the device physically will not work unless you get your hands on it. Don't lie. Because that's what this is. One giant batch of lying. The statement continues. So what's the problem with letting anyone in their garage create their own battery and plug it into the board? It's not like it's getting an oil change. Both the levels and complexity, nor the level of risk associated... The same lithium battery technology that enables high power and long range means that less cells must be held. <laughs> must. Wait. I felt like I just read a word salad. The same lithium battery technology that enables high, enables high power and long range means the cells contain tremendous amounts of energy potential and must be handled with the utmost caution. Uh, let me interject. Look, I don't know if I want to trust these guys because apparently they're letting live bees into their own battery testing facility. And I don't know about you, but I'd be afraid those stingers might puncture the battery. Why am I making jokes? Yes, they spelled B. They spelled it with two E's. And, you know, I'd let that go as a simple typo, but then it continues. The stakes are high. Stakes spelled S-T-E-A-K-S. First and foremost, for rider safety. Boards with modified batteries are notorious for having battery issues. This, according to riders. Let me interject, prove it. Prove it. Who are these riders? Because the thing is that those same riders wouldn't be able to prove it themselves because the device doesn't work with modified batteries. It doesn't even work with the original battery. If I go ahead and try to power cycle it. Like, let's see the testimonials. Let's see the reports. We're showing you the reports of these devices bricking themselves by trying to just unplug the old battery and plug in a new one or unplugging the old battery and plugging in the same battery. But go ahead, please. Tell me more about safety in this. I 
And then also tell me why have you not shipped me out one of these steaks? I want to see how high these steaks are and what are you seasoning them with? I mean, personally, I'm, I'm more of a very basic salt, pe- pepper, a little bit of gar- garlic and rosemary. And of course, some butter. Good old-fashioned pan-seared butter-basted steak. Mm. Anyway. Best case, the board breaks. Worst case, the board breaks and the rider gets injured. Worst, worst case, the board lights on fire while riding or burns someone's house down. If we zoom out, it's also important to note that the light electric vehicle space is still in its early days and regulation and public perception is far from mature and established. We all want the one-wheel experience to be great for everyone and part of the future. Battery fires from modified ba- modified boards could be catastrophic to efforts to one-wheel acceptance. If your board needs a replacement pack, we provide that service at our repairs facility. Let me interject. You only have one. Go- I'd love to see you go ahead and fill the orders for literally everyone. The statement continues. Using brand new OEM cells and parts. This is not a profit center for us. Let me interject. You are a bad liar. If it is not a profit center for you, you would go ahead and sell the parts and put out documentation for it to be serviced by those who feel they can be technicians. The statement continues. This is not a profit center for us, but a way to keep you writing and stoked on your board for years to come. Hope that helps shed some light on the matter. Cheers. That is a repost of Future Motion's comment verbatim posted on Reddit when questioned about their battery policy. I don't think I need to add anything more, to be perfectly honest. I feel from my interjections that they have basically gone out of their way to try and be as, well, consumer unfriendly as possible. Someone in our chat went ahead and posted their Better Business Bureau profile. Um, They have a two out of five. They have an F rating. They only have one service center, and it's in California. If you, like, let's think about this for a second. Where one of these devices would be key is in a city like New York. A city that's very dense. Trying to get around with a real vehicle is nigh impossible. 
Electric Bites have a war against them by the mayor of New York. So a device like this, if you just want to get around, this would be ideal. But if your battery dies, you can't have a spare on hand. You would have to send it out, wait for it to ship out to California, which would take about five days, unless you paid extra. Wait for them to finally get to it, whenever the heck that would be, and then ship it back. Which they would, which even if you went ahead and did same day air, I guarantee you they would not. Which means you'd be without your primary mode of transportation for weeks. Now, I know that's going to be a very, very small minority, but for this company to go ahead and want to put their best foot forward, to go ahead and provide the best service they can for their customers and actually have an image that isn't that of blatant corporate greed. This is the wrong way to go about it. You go ahead and try to go and use safety as their reason as to why no one can replace their own battery. You can't use a third-party one. You can't even go... Like, that's that's the part that sleeps me the most. You can't even go ahead and if someone broke their board, like if someone burnt out the motor of another one wheel, you can't cannibalize the battery out of it and put it into yours that has a bad battery in it. You can't. Whether you had the know-how to do it or otherwise, you can't I'll tell you what they're going to be a company I'm going to be keeping an eye on mostly because in case you couldn't tell from my intro of this segment here I'm absolutely getting a blast out of watching Lewis Rossman just lose his mind to just how anti-everything consumer-friendly this company is. And to make matters worse, I haven't read the full article on it yet, but before I went live with the podcast, Lewis posted a piece about the fact that apparently this new model with this new battery management system also goes ahead and has a defect in just triggering false lean forwards and just moves on its own. Oh boy. So yeah, I guess they don't care about safety that much, assuming that is true. But again, I haven't had a chance to look into that one all that much more. So, you know, take that with a bowl of salt, because I have nothing to back that up other than a headline I read on a YouTube video. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, let's actually talk about some good stuff that happened with GPUs. (laughs) 
Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. So, GDC 2022 has wrapped up. What's that? You don't know what G, G, D, GDC 2022 is? That's okay. I don't remember either. It's basically a gaming developer conference, which I think is actually what GDC actually does stand for, but I'm not entirely certain. And it's where a whole lot of developers, mostly NVIDIA and AMD, gather together and show their future technology. It is, in fact, where you see NVIDIA usually show off new architecture. Well, this time we actually got some juicy stuff. Like, for starters, a look at AMD's Fidelity FX Super Resolution 2.0. It is coming. And it actually does look pretty good including being able to to upscale an almost 480p image granted the their example used a 960 by 540 which is a resolution i don't think anyone has used ever all the way up to 1080p and a 1080p up to 4k and in fact it has had a minimal effect on overall performance. Now, of course, what we've seen so far, I could talk about the various screenshots and demonstrations we saw. It is hard to say how good it actually is going to be in the field. It is also going to be hard to say how well it's going to work on each card. Because supposedly, this will be able to work really well on... What cards did they say this would work on? It's apparently just going to be built into or an update to cards that use GPU open. So that should, in theory, work on a wide number of cards and just basically be free performance in theory, but there's a decent chance I'm, I'm not getting this as well. The point is, is that it's coming. It looks good so far. We'll see how it actually is when places like Gamers Nexus, Linus Media Group, Tom's Hardware, and all the rest get their hands on it and run far more tests on it than anyone ever, ever asked for for this kind of technology. Meanwhile, NVIDIA showed us what we've all been waiting for. Oh, yeah. You've just wanted some nice, big, thick, hot, powerful data center GPUs. I mean, CPUs. Actually, it's a CPU. NVIDIA unveiled a 144-core CPU super chip that claims that their ARM chip is 1.5 times faster than last year's AMD Epic processor. AMD Epic, for those who don't know, is AMD's server CPUs, which currently cap out at 64 CPU cores. Now, here's the problem with with this claim. We've seen this from Apple now quite a bit. You know how Apple goes ahead and shows a giant graph and says, whoa, 
look how much faster we are. This graph with no numbers on it says we're way better. And then people actually get their hands on it and actually do some tests. And it's like, yeah, in certain applications it does, but um, others it's not. Like, not even close. Super power efficient, though. And that's actually where this where this uh, CPU really does shine. The biggest metric in the data center that matters is not performance. It's not anything except performance per watt. That $20,000 server you just bought, that doesn't matter. That upfront cost doesn't matter in the business world. What matters far more is how much money that server consumes in power over its life. Because that's going to add up to far more than the upfront cost of the server by not a small number. So to go ahead and release an ARM CPU that can compete with x86 and hopefully do it in a way that is more power efficient, that is a massive, massive change in the data center world. But of course, they're only claiming it's one and a half times faster than Epic Rome. AMD hasn't shown off their latest Epic chips yet, or maybe they have. And they're just not like out in any significant number because of the chip shortage. Now the chip also does, the super chip does hold some other interesting secrets. For starters, the RAM is built onto this massive like substrate. Like all the power delivery that is there too. And if you can see the picture of it, you'll notice there are, it looks like two CPUs side by side. And it's because this one super chip is actually two. Glued together with a one terabyte per second data transfer rate between the two CPUs. NVIDIA just one-upped Apple. Just straight up. Now, of course, this is something we're not going to see in any home PC. I would be stunned if this was even seen in a workstation. What this really matters in, where it's really going to shine, is, of course, in the data center. This also could be a way that um, that NVIDIA just... Could be the reason why NVIDIA decided not to sign on with that Interconnect Express standard. Or the UCIE. 
Remember that? Remember how ARM, Intel, TSMC, AMD, Google, and quote, more industry leaders sign on about that? We talked about it briefly. This could be why we didn't see Apple or uh, NVIDIA sign on to it, because they had their own method. But here's my question. ARM already signed up for it, so what's the point? Guess it's going to be a matter of time till this new universal standard will just be part of NVIDIA's and Apple's anyway. Ah, well. But in any case, that's not all NVIDIA showed off, of course. Oh, no, 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 no. Because NVIDIA wants us to know they're still on track. But they don't want to tell us they're still on track. So how can they tell us they're still on track without telling us they're still on track? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the NVIDIA H100 GPU, the newest high-end hopper GPU. So what does this mean? It's the H100 GPU. It's a server GPU. It has 80 billion transistors. It looks weird as heck. And we all know we're not going to see it in any home PC whatsoever. So why does this thing matter? It matters for the same reason that the A100 matters. And the K100 and the P100, the T100, the V100, how every single one of these high-end server GPUs mattered. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the RTX 40. 90. Probably not exactly, but that is most likely what is going to be your RTX 4000 series. That is the big daddy of them all. And if history is anything to go by, that is the sign we can expect the RTX 4080 sometime in October or November. So, new GPUs are coming. I know what you're thinking. You're expecting me to tell you to wait. Oh, they're coming, so you might as well just wait for the next generation. Well, here's the thing, and chat's already getting ahead of me on this. The GPU market nowadays, nobody cares about performance per watt. No one cares about the power consumption. No one cares about 
the PCI Express standard that it has to go with. No one cares about its actual performance in a game. No one cares if it can run Crisis or not. No one cares about any of those metrics anymore. There's only one metric that people care about in graphic cards in this modern age. One statistic and one statistic only. Is it in stock? And that's the sad truth. Will NVIDIA be able to meet demand? Because with the chip, because let's be honest, the, the the Samsung chip foundry that made the previous generation, it fell short. So, is NVIDIA going back to TSMC? No. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the strangest alliance in the tech world. NVIDIA is floating the idea to partner with Intel for the next generation of GeForce GPUs. You you know what? I mean, if it works, I mean, I I, I mean, I don't know about that. I mean, we're talking about a process that's going to be like five nanometers and Intel only figured out that there's numbers lower than 14 recently. So. I guess go for it. This is going to be very. Very, very interesting, to say the least. For NVIDIA to go ahead and just turn to Intel, of which everyone has been making fun of Intel for a while for the exact same reason I just led up to. The fact that they can't count below 14 in a world where everyone is starting to encroach on 5. So will Intel be able to get this kind of process node ready in time? We know they do have a 5 nanometer process in the works. They're calling it Intel 7. Someone in chat just reminded me of that. It's been a while. I don't know if it's going to be ready in time. But even though Intel, even though NVIDIA made record profits last year, it's hard to ignore that black eye that most of their profits were made from scalpers and cryptocurrency miners. Personally, if you can save up, I would save up. I would absolutely Save up now. Because there's a decent chance that either A, when these new chips are about to come out, 
people who had the old chips, whether it being cryptocurrency miners, scalpers, or whoever, are going to try and offload their old stock on the cheap. And it might not be the worst idea to be an opportunistic buyer and buy up some of those cards at the super cheap. Or you can try and get in for the newer GPUs and hope that it actually will be in stock. This is going to be a very interesting holiday season, assuming that this plays out as we suspect it will. Meanwhile, also out there, NVIDIA is planning on streamlining... I'm sorry, I got confused there because I thought they meant streamline as in the verb, not streamline as in that's the name of the new feature. NVIDIA Streamline aims to simplify developer support for all upscaling algorithms. And you know what's weird? This one's open source. NVIDIA? Making something open source? Did the hackers actually get to them, or... Are they actually being... Friendly? I'm confused. Grateful, but very confused. There's got to be something else to this. I mean, has NVIDIA turned over a new leaf? Are they... Are they actually going to try and be consumer-friendly? Do they actually care about the little guy? Oh, wait, no, they don't. Here, here we go. Uh, signs of the RTX 3090 Ti being leaked, and um, it looks like the card is going to be announced on the 29th of March. Now that's the NVIDIA I know. Yeah, no word yet as to what this behemoth card is going to cost. The leaked pictures, though, of the 3090 Ti Supreme which is misspelt because MSI thinks they're cool, is, um... It's, uh... It's a thing. That's that's all I can say. This is a real thing made by real people. Like, there are a lot of small form factor cases nowadays that you can put a full-size GPU in and have no problems at all. None whatsoever. You're just fine. There is no way this is going to fit into into one of those cases. You're going to need a real tower. Actually, just that thickness alone, I don't think it would fit in my gaming PC. I mean, granted, I don't think my GPU would be able to support this, considering the fact this uh, this card is supposed to consume upwards of 480 watts of power. What the what? 
I'm sorry, what? I, I just, whoa. I'm sorry, I need to install solar panels on my uh, house now because the main line coming in from the power grid isn't enough for my GPU. Holy cow. Gotta go ahead and install 3,000 watts of solar on the roof just to compensate for that. And then, of course, because I know how to rant and plan everything out, we have leaked information regarding the RTX 4080 and 4090. The information we have from Igor's lab is that, well, the amount of RAM we're seeing suggests that we're either going to see 12 or 24 gigabytes of RAM on these GPUs and that these cards might might consume upwards of, are you sitting down for this? That these GPUs might consume 600 watts. My entire streaming PC. I think both of my PCs combined. I'd have to look at the power draw. I don't think both of them combined consume 600 watts. That's absurd. 600 watts. Now, to make matters even worse on these, you're most likely also going to be looking at a new power supply as well, not just for the fact that it consumes 600 watts. 600 watts, what the heck? But also the fact that, well more and more information and by more and more information i mean the fact that the standard is now official and released is going to change the fact that we're going to be switching instead from the six and eight pin connectors we've all known into a 12 pin connector with a smaller four pin connector above that that can deliver up to 600 watts on a single cable. So one way or another, you're probably gonna end up buying a new power supply with your with your 4000 series GPU anyway. Zone and chat asks, how are these power requirements go- gonna go with the California legislation? So here's the fun one. That California legislation, you want to know how useless that California legislation was? It was only regulating the sleep consumption power. The California legislation, I can't remember what what the name of it was. It only cared about sleep consumption power how much power contain it consumed while idle and off 
It didn't care about how much power consumed while on. There was also a bunch of other carve-outs and caveats for high-performance computers and gaming rigs and whatnot. The only reason an Alienware PC was not allowed in California was because it didn't follow the standard and consumed something upwards of like 10 watts while asleep or like 20 watts or something like that. Don't, don't quote me on the exact details. That's basically what it boils down to. It boiled down to sleep power consumption. Slow freaking clap. It's not like I blame the person in chat for for mentioning that and getting the legislation wrong. Because far too many places were reporting on it wrong. Far too many places heard that it was a power regulation bill and just assumed that, oh, hey, look, California is making it so that we have, we have to use low power devices, hurdy dirty dur. What didn't help at all also with that same thing is also the fact that the California website to actually provide the information was offline. Because when this thing was out and everyone was asking me questions going, hey, Eagle, you're that tech guy who goes ahead and pays attention to all these details. What do you think about it? I don't know. I can't find the documentation. Because it's not on the California government site. I had to get it from newspapers that photocopied the actual bill. Because the actual government records were down. And knowing how effective the state of California is at that sort of thing, it probably is still down. All right, one last little interesting bit in regards to gaming. Actually, you know what? No, we're going to take our last break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about direct storage and the benefits it's going to provide to the gaming industry and also why I called Microsoft going furry. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. All right. Microsoft Direct Storage has been shown off a bit more. And what we're seeing is very, very interesting. And actually could really take away like the one leg up that console gaming has over PC other, other than stability. Console gaming is always going to have game stability over PC gaming. But direct storage will make it so that the GPU will draw information straight from the storage device rather than going through the CPU. So how much of an impact can this make on the game? 
it can have load times on PC games dip all the way down to 1.9 seconds. That's nice. That's real nice. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we're going to be seeing that immediately. And you should absolutely switch over to M.2 storage immediately or anything of that of that nature. It is going to take time for the developers to enable and implement this protocol on their games. If I go ahead and install an M.2 SSD on the 12-inch problem somehow and fire up Red Alert 2, guess what? Its load times are going to be exactly the same as it was because the game's old. The game has no idea what direct storage is. It has no idea how to use that protocol at all. That and the 12-inch problem doesn't have an M.2 slot on it anyway. I should also mention that that the 12-inch problem is an old Windows 7 laptop with a 12-inch screen. It's not a euphemism for... Get get your head out of the gutter, you weirdo. Speaking of weirdos, Fortnite is apparently experimenting with um, a mode of gameplay that undoes the one thing it had going for it. To make a battle royale out of Fortnite with no building whatsoever. It was literally the one feature Fortnite had that was unique to the game. Why? Oh, why? Would you remove the one unique thing you introduced? It's a very, very bizarre life decision. And... Good luck? I guess? I would just assume that anyone who wanted to go ahead and play Fortnite that had no building construction or constructing at all would have just gone ahead and, you know, played any one of the 18 kajillion other Battle Royale games. It's not like there's a shortage of them. Oh, you want to play a Battle Royale but you don't build? All right, go play PUBG. Or Valorant. Or Call of Duty. Actually, don't play Call of Duty. Actually, don't play any Battle Royale. You you can pick a better game for yourself. I believe in you. In other bizarre news, though, Asahi Linux has been released for Macs, specifically the M1 Apple Silicon Macs. Yes, my friends. We have a way in. We can get Linux on an Apple Silicon Mac, which means 
it is only a matter of time until we get an M1 Mac to play Doom. We can do it, everyone. No computer will be left without the ability to run Doom. The one safe haven for a computer that can't play Doom, and we're going to get our in. Actually, there's probably already a way to play Doom on the M1 Mac. Who am I kidding? Someone figured out a way long ago, and nobody, and nobody reported on it. I'm really bad. Regardless, though, getting an alternative operating system on there is a big step forward. And just trying to figure out exactly how to crack Apple's lockdown garden. And you'd think that doesn't matter. Oh, who cares? It's just a Mac. Just get some other computer. When you talk about device longevity, these kinds of quote-unquote cracks to go ahead and get another operating system on a device means that once it has left its useful life cycle, when Apple decides that this device is not worth supporting anymore and refuses to do anything with it, it can, in fact, serve a second life. There is actually a community that goes out there and gathers up some of the old Power Mac or Power PCs, the Power PC based Macs, also known as Power Macs, and then get various versions of Linux on them so they can live a second life. Especially since, you know, Apple doesn't exactly give these things any ability to upgrade at all. There's no serviceability. There's no upgradable parts. Storage dies. Computer's dead. Memories are, are always locked to whatever you get it at. That's it. So, even though I am not very knowledgeable in Linux, I still understand the importance of these oddball Linux projects to go ahead and get a flavor of it running on a computer that shouldn't have it at all in the first place. Let's get to some weirder stories, shall we? In fact, why don't we just get to the last burb, the last story of the day, the weirdest story of the week. It is the fact that Microsoft has decided they're just going to go ahead and come on out. They're going to go ahead and show the world what they're all about. Just unleash the beast that's been hiding inside and just absolutely went ahead and released these absolutely hideous-looking Xbox controllers and are giving them away on a Sonic-themed sweepstakes. What were they thinking? It is a set of Xbox uh, series controllers that are covered 
in synthetic, I assume acrylic, fur in both red and blue to symbolize, obviously, hot and cold. I mean, Knuckles and Sonic. Of course, to go ahead with um, the new Sonic 2 movie coming out. Now, cool idea, but as someone who knows what it takes to clean unique fabrics, I have to ask, how great is it going to be to use those controllers? You've got, again, I am assuming that it's going to be the same sort of acrylic fur you find on a lot of cheap but trying-to-be-high-end fake fur-trimmed winter coats. So the fur is acrylic, which means it cannot be exposed to high heat at all. Whether you wash your hands thoroughly or not before grabbing them, you are going to get dirt and sweat gunk into these things like nobody's business. The buttons and the joysticks, if you were to throw them into a washing machine like someone just suggested in chat, the joysticks are going to get absolutely destroyed. They're not going to survive. Even if they went ahead and... Conformal coated the entire PCB of the controller and just basically made these things watertight. The mechanism for the jo- for the joysticks are going to get destroyed. Which means, oddly enough, the best way to, to clean these things of the inevitable Cheeto dust you get in these things would, and you're going to laugh, would honestly be for this, for these to be A- waterproof and then be again you're gonna laugh take them in the shower with you and use a very mild detergent and basically give these controllers a a hand shampoo to clean these sort of things that would be the only way I could see these things ever being clean I mean think about it if you cover the whole controller in fur (laughs) you're gonna get these things so coated in your various body oils that it's gonna be disgusting and it's not like a normal controller you can just go ahead and take a you know a mild soap and a rag and just wipe down the plastic. That'd be the easiest way to get off a lot of that sort of gunk on a normal controller. You've got this massive fur on it. I just, fortunately for us, um, it's part of a sweepstakes giveaway. And it does, in fact, also come with a special edition of the Xbox Series S that I'm not going to lie. It actually does look pretty cool. They put a gold trim around the ring 
around the intake fan. So it looks like a gold ring from Sonic. And it has the... You've seen the picture if you've seen the uh, posters of uh, Sonic and Knuckles colliding a fist with like a white background behind it. So I mean... I wouldn't mind the Xbox. Those controllers, though, there is no way those would ever, ever be used in anyone's hands for more than a few minutes. Folks, that's going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Thank you so much for listening, and I do encourage you to check out the daily podcast, The Early Bird Briefing, which you can find wherever you found this podcast or at anchor.fm slash early B-I-R-B briefing every morning. Got new episodes there. Also, these podcasts are now on YouTube. I know. I can't believe I did it either. And I'll check out my Twitch page, twitch.tv slash Eagle Falcon. Take care, and hopefully I'll see you then. Bye-bye. Now look, Microsoft, I'm happy for you that you finally come out and just admitted what we've always expected, that you actually are part of the furry fandom. All I ask is that you please just don't be one of those furries that just go ahead and throw it in everyone's face and just be the most toxic bleep hole out there. It's the last thing the rest of us need while trying to figure out the rest of this insane world. Also, we just want to know, can we get an edition of the Xbox Series S there, but without the Sonic graphic, and just instead call it the one, the Lord of the Rings uh, edition? I can't take credit for that one. That That's absolutely from chat. Thank you, chat.